Hello everyone and welcome to See Through Panel. This is a comic book review and graphic novel discussion podcast. My name is Fahed Rahman and today I am joined by Kate Sharon. Uh, Kate is an artist, designer, comic book writer and professor of sequential art at Savannah College of Art and Design where she earned her MFA in illustration many, many years ago. Kate has worked on a number of licensed all-age properties including Invader Zim, and My Little Pony, and is an artist and creator for the creator-owned Chain to the Grave and Silk Hills. She currently lives and works in Savannah, Georgia. How are you doing, Kate? Oh, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. So I always like to start off with a couple of jokes to help my um, uh, guests relax. (laughs) Why do ducks have tail feathers? I don't know. Why Uh, of tail feathers uh, to uh, cover up their butt quacks <laughs> oh that's dumb i like it <laughs> <laughs> a book fell on my head head today uh, i only i've only got my uh, shelf to blame oh <laughs> i see what you did there yeah <laughs> okay. okay today we're discussing the bend of luck by peter and maria huey and i'll read out the blurb for the book imagine a world where luck is the most ephemeral ephemeral of ideas has a has a physical form precious stones of luck mined like gold are worn as bringers of fortune but luck breaks both ways while the blue gems may grant advantage to those who wear them their blessing is fickle and unpredictable in the blink of an eye good luck can turn bad we follow the life of a man who comes into possession of some powerful stones but the success enjoyed by the father goes awry when he tries to pass this luck onto his son. In alternating scenes between the two generations, the bend of luck follows Felicity's course like an arrow through family's destiny. When I contacted you, Kate, I gave you uh, a few options about which book we would discuss, and you chose the bend of luck. What drew you to drew you to the book? Well, I had been, you know, kind of, gosh, it's been many, many years since I've read, uh, you know, coin-op, some of the older coin-op comics, but I was at least, you know, somewhat familiar, um, and so I was curious just kind of what they've been up to of late, and and was just interested, at the, the cover was, I'm always, I like stuff that's very design-y and interestingly structured, and so I thought this looked just off the bat like it would probably scratch that it to start off let's talk a little bit about so we were reviewing pdf so we haven't got the actual physical product of what the book would look like but from from the pdf it looks like the book would be square in design would you kind of agree yeah yeah and i think geometry plays a really they make some very interesting choices with the geometry geometry within the book um both in terms of like the panel layout and in terms of the character designs, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and so I thought it was really interesting because like anytime you get away from that vertical page that we are traditionally used to, it really changes how you have to think about how you're laying out that page. And so if you go back to thinking about timing, pacing in a very sort of Scott McCloud kind of way, there is... It feels like there's less of a forward momentum 
when you don't have that vertical page. Uh, now, obviously, this is different people respond to layouts differently. And stop me if I get into full on professor yeah. mode. Uh, school starts next week. And so if you can't tell, I'm already gearing up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so but that idea of as soon as you get out of a if, let me retrace my steps. If you get into a, a layout or a composition that is essentially square, same on or close to, you know, same on each sides, it feels it has a tendency to feel a little bit more circular, a little bit more stagnant because you're kind of getting into like you don't have a direction. You're not given a direction to go. Whereas if like the page is longer than it is wide, your brain tends to kind of pull you down. Uh, and so I think that already right from the start when you're working with a square image to try to get your reader to kind of move forward can be a challenge, but it could be a boon if you're wanting your reader to take a little bit more of a meditative pace with things. And I think that this is definitely a book in the, the kind of cold clinical language that it's written in, the fact that you have these opposing timelines and it's kind of indicated when you're switching, but kind of not. It is a story that is more being told to you than being shown to you in a lot of ways. I think that having that sort of meditative pace uh, really serves it well because it's not going to definitely drive you forward with punches and kick it, kicks and kapows and explosions and things. Yeah, I would agree with that. It took a couple of pages for me to kind of get into the flow of things most of the pages i believe are told in no more than five panels he they use both rectangular uh, panels and they, they quite often use uh, circular inset panels they use those kind of especially in um dialogue moments when they want to specifically punctuate the power or, or kind of the significance of what someone is saying and i felt that worked particularly well I, one of my um favorite pages is kind of like on page 15 where they've got this nine panel layout of bridge over i think it's, it's, uh, over san francisco Francisco, and I think that kind of works particularly well as a scene setting page. But yes, kind of like the geometry of it. I wonder what kind of why they they went for that. And I've, I think probably you're right. It is a more meditative story. It's not really that action packed. Though, though there are kind of like action sequences within the story. It's very much more. Uh, it's very much more a story where it's being like narrated to you rather than shown to you, as as, as you said. Yeah, and it's. I mean, like when there are those moments of violence or action they're really stiff and i mean to be fair that's that's kind of part of their their style their oeuvre uh of these very sort of iconographic infographic kind of very design centered uh sort of character designs and world designs uh but like in I, I think it really serves well it's like well this is kind of the world the visual world that we work in then let us kind of tell a story that works within that. And so something that is incredibly dialogue driven, incredibly action driven. I don't know if it would work well in this style, but a very much like, I'm going to tell you a story. And this is as much a kind of a fairy tale fable sort of story, you know, a cautionary tale, you know, sort of speak. It has that very weight to it as in like, you know, I'm going to tell you a story, but it's there is a moral at the center of it, a caution at the center of it. And so I think keeping that sort 
sort of rhythm, letting us kind of sit and think on things, but like they don't break the grid a ton, except with occasional circles. Every once in a while, one or two things might break uh, the panel border, but it's still very methodical and very precise. Uh, and I think that that is uh, very serving. Uh, the, the story that they're telling matches well with the style that they're using. Going on to the style of the, the artistic design choices they make, especially with the characters' faces. I mean, you could almost swap out almost all the characters' faces. Really, the only thing that changes is like the the hair and maybe like the facial hair really is kind of the only thing that really changes across um, the characters. They've all got pretty similar head shapes in terms of kind of the way that they look and they're almost, they're almost, oh, I don't, what's the word that I'm kind of phrased that I'm looking, not Lego. Um, what was kind of the Lego ripoff that I was thinking of? Playmobil? Playmobil. They almost look like Playmobil. Um, <laughs> My God, characters. you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought, well, how is he going to kind of, how are they going to portray emotion and like nuance with this? But, but, but they, they kind of kind of manage it quite well, I think. So how, how did how did you feel kind of like, might be a bit of an odd question. How did you feel about your, your ability to kind of emotionally connect with the characters? I think that's quite important when you're reading anything or kind of watching a movie and stuff. How did you feel like the, the artistic design choice they made about where the way the characters looked impacted on your ability to emotionally connect with them? It kept me at a distance for yeah. much of the book, but I did find myself eventually like coming to, I think it was just because the, the language that was used in such a way was really austere for something that is really traumatic and tragic. Yes. Like, <laughs> And so like, you know, especially with the the wife, you know, less about when we were, you know, back in the, the, the flashback to the father-in-law's youth, but more when we're following the wife through this loss, this woman, she's lost her husband, but she doesn't know how. And there's just these big questions and big empty spaces. And every once in a while, like there's talking about how like she starts to forget his face and, you know, just the, the mundaneness of having to clean out this business that they shared together. Uh, you know, it, 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 it just kind of really slowly hurts more and more and more the more time you spend with her it it, it it built it built and then by the time by the end we reach that ending where there is a hopeful turn uh uh for her free of these these men and their cycles and yeah. hopefully kind of moving forward in a life of her own i think i i, I actually felt i i felt good at the end and i felt i felt it like i said it, it took it took a hot minute to connect but when you really, when I really let it sit and when I really kind of tried to put myself into the emotional space of the, the, the wife, it was, then it really, it really struck. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons why the characters aren't, are these sort of interchangeable and they're not super emotive. So that you, you, you have to have that active reading experience. You, and you can kind of put yourself into these places and into these spaces because it's not like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I, I haven't done a lot of reading up on how they've, they've thought or spoke of uh, creating this book, but that's just kind of my thought coming. Yeah. I think you're right. So I think we haven't really spoken a lot about the plot we'll get that start in in a bit but one of the things that one of the choices that they made that I've, usually when when the writers make this choice or creators make this choice it really annoys me but <laughs> none of the 
all the characters in the book are nameless. We we only basically know them by their roles. So they, we've got you know, like you said, the wife, the son, the father, the 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 gamblers, the the, uh, the bookies, you know? yeah, the captain. So none of the characters actually given names. I think the closest we get to is I think uh, the son's mother's name is mentioned in a letter somewhere. I think um, and, you know if their names are given at any point, I yeah. sure heck don't remember yeah yeah <laughs> so it's you know another thing where it kind of does give it kind of like a i'm i'm, I'm an almost like as you mentioned before like a a cautionary tale fable like quality to the storytelling so um I'll, I'll quickly kind of recap the plot so the the father and um he's i think they're they're out in the desert somewhere i think looking for for gold or, or silver and they come across this pond that cl- uh that contains these pieces of luck and the, the the story is really about how the father has to kind of hide this luck away and use it very carefully because it's you know being in possession of it is kind of quite a dangerous thing in the world of the of the story and how that kind of impacts not only his life but the life of his son and then kind of the life of his daughter-in-law it's this generational um thing uh it's very much about the sins of the father passing on to the son and when did you think this book was set what, what period do you think it was set in it took me a moment to realize like it was i mean and i mean like they definitely set it up with like the cars and the fashion for the present the quote-unquote present day part of the story but like i don't know why it, it just it just took me a minute to like figure out that that sort of like the quote-unquote like the the son and the, the yeah. wife like that they were maybe like maybe the 50s, yes, yeah. 40s. And like, but it, it, it took me realizing that the the, the prospector uh, part is father-in-law. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a lot earlier yeah. in time than it yeah. feels. Because it, you know, because it, it was just like, it felt like this is like maybe like a grandfather. Yes. And then this was maybe like the... You know, we're going between like there's two generation skips or some sort of connection, or we'll get there eventually. Yada yada. But like, no, it was literally just the one generation. I was like, oh, okay, all right, that's fair. And then you go back and you look and you're like, oh well, that makes sense. And obviously, a hat shop makes a lot more sense in say like the 40s than it does in like the 60s uh, or the 70s. The- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and it's not that for for lack of skill on the the creator's part that was just uh lack of thought yeah. on my part yeah <laughs> as i said in the um in the blurb is kind of the story is told through um these two alternating timeline timelines um it kind of flits between the two there is some dialogue in the book but mostly it's t- uh, told through i was going to say text box but that's not the correct that's, yeah, caption, yeah, box, caption boxes like, yeah. um it's kind of very much as you say kind of um narrated to you and yeah it has a yes. voiceover kind of voiceover narrative narrator sort of feel or or just that sort of omnipresent storyteller yeah. sort of feel in terms of you know the characters um within the book like i think you I, I agree with you i think the wife is probably the emotional heart of the book i think <laughs> For me, the, uh, stories like this, when you're talking about generational like trauma or s- sweeping epic things where the sins of one generation impact on the other, kind of you'd kind of I, I would expect there to be maybe like a stronger focus on the relationship between the father and the son, but that's not really there. They're kind of um, estranged from each other um, for for the most part. Which, to be fair, if you are carrying the the weight of 
the emotional trauma of, of depending on, you know, obviously generational trauma comes in all different shapes and forms and fashions. And, uh, but like if someone's, you know, I, having a distant father, having an, uh, a, a, a absent father, I mean, a father who's there, but emotionally absent, uh, you know, can be, can be just as, uh, affecting as having one who's yeah. mean or one who's loving, you know, these things that, and so I thought it was an interesting tact on that one. But then as we, you know, learn about that father-in-law, like his mind is full of how to scam that system without getting caught, how to use that luck to its fullest ability without people realizing that he's got it and having to pay for it and having to pay for his own cheating and crimes throughout this, you know, his years. And so like, dude doesn't have time to be a father. Yeah. This is not an excuse. It just, just a, like, I, I'm realizing this as we're sitting there, like, of course he's not going to spend time connecting. He doesn't know how, and he, he spent his entire life focused on yes. money, money, money and how to do that. And so like, you know, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's an interesting tact, but I think it definitely is still effective. Uh, um, but it is different because, oh my God, this is definitely, I feel like the the year or two years of generational trauma yes. in popular yeah. media, especially for children. Like the <laughs> number of kids movies that deal with generational trauma these days. I'm like, yeah. howdy. All right, then we're going yeah. there. <laughs> All these elder millennials and Xers have got some things to say yes. to their parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't disagree <laughs> with that. Um, I think you, you kind of you hit on something quite interesting there about the the father's single mindedness on holding on to this. It's kind of the story almost uh, in parts reads like one of those classic Western stories where a gang stump stumble along, uh, stumbles stumbles across like loads of gold and how that that desire for gold can kind of twist relationships and friendships and turn people against each other. And, you know, his desire to hold on to this piece, you know, this piece of luck that in order to kind of get rich and profit off of it kind of does skew everything else um, around in his life. He kind of, it's not even like, it doesn't even feel like at any point in this story, you don't get any sense that he's actually enjoying the fruits of his, of his wealth at any point. No, he's just trying i don't know like it's just it's yeah. so procedural yeah Ugh. and like and it's like well what's even the point to me like i don't think that's very lucky you know to have a life that is just all about this this cold emotionless like pro process driven life and all about gains and and money and and not being noticed as you make more money for yourself and like you can't enjoy those riches because you know, you're, you're essentially alone. And like, I don't know, man, uh, I've never been and will probably never be rich in a, a single day in my life. But having friends, having family, like, I feel extremely lucky and extremely happy. And it's just like, I, I think that's another added layer to kind of point out that like, luck isn't like, what yes, is luck? And how does it manifest? You know, and how do you use yes, it? I think that's, I think that's, Probably one of the things the creators are trying to get at is you can have good fortune that brings you fortune, but that's not necessarily going to enrich your life in a way that's emotionally meaningful in any way. You know, get get the sense, you know, for all the wealth that he's purported to have, it's 
it's not really given him a family or even friends, people that he can connect with. He has to keep that yeah. distance from everyone, really. So, yeah, I think that's um, also, also another thing uh, about the book. I want to talk a, bit, a little bit more about uh, the art, kind of like I think I've, I've previously mentioned. I think geometry plays uh, a quite important part in the, in the book. Uh, the, the other thing I kind of wanted to discuss, and I, I think this is the correct um, terminology for it, and it'd be kind of interesting to see kind of a hard cover, a cover um, hard copy of this to see how if you look at some of the panels you can kind of see so i'm looking at page 165 you can kind of see how some of the panels have got these like wavy lines in the background and then other panels have got these straight lines across them and i think that that, that might be kind of referred as kind of like pointerism in terms of like using like these little dots to kind of um, create create this effect yeah they read almost like a kind of like a yes, screen tone yes exactly exactly why do you think they did that what type what type of effect do you think they were kind of like trying to generate mm. um in in the reader you know and it's interesting because it's it's something that like now that you point it out i'm trying to i mean i'm kind of zipping through to see how like what's the kind of consistency of the use of it but it's it's wow it's really pervasive yeah. isn't it you know it's funny i only really kind of paid attention to it when it was, you know, high enough contrast area where it stood out. And usually, usually like screen tone, half tone, those sort of things are used to just kind of create a sense of shading. But it's it's all over. I honestly don't know. That is such an odd texture to give everything. And occasionally it like it will get kind of lightened up or blurred out where, you know, there's maybe like high highlights on faces or water. Uh, you know, it tends to kind of fade out some when you need that high contrast. But in general, it's just kind of and, and it. Huh. I wonder. Yeah. And this is me pulling straight out of my behind. Because it does almost have the feel of just to, to I, I am I'm 39, so I grew up with not digital yeah. with tube television. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, I don't think I had a, a, a digital television. I had a tube television way into like my 20s or 30s because yeah. it still worked. <laughs> uh, and so, like, there's almost sort of a visual texture to that analog um uh i think it's analog uh um yeah. is the right word for that 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 both the display and the mm, yeah. transmission and and i don't i don't i doubt this is what they were going for but it does kind of have that sort of visual artifact that you get from watching yeah. like an old yeah. show on an old yeah. television <laughs> but uh, I mean, like I said, that I pull yeah. that one right out of my butt. I I am not entirely sure. It's not a technique I have really seen. Yeah, I mean, it just so I'm, I'm, I don't want to say like odd, but it's it's not something that I'd seen before either. So I was just wondering, kind of why uh, why they'd chosen to do that. And I've not read um, anything by these creators before, so I'm coming to this kind of like completely. Fresh. Is there previous work so kind of similar to this? Since I've read some old, uh, it's been so many years since I've read uh, some of their older stuff. And so like, I, oof, I, and that's such a little detail that I wouldn't even pull it, be able to pull yeah. that from my memory. I'd have to look into it. It might just be a yeah. thing that they do. That's sort of a signature je ne sais quoi visual yeah. texture. Yeah. I don't know. So um, we've been talking about the book for about um, 30 minutes. I, 
I don't know what to make of it. I, I, I think I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it. I think it's definitely worth um, seeking out and and reading. Um, I don't know if that if it's a recommendation from me or not. I enjoyed it. I think there's something, especially the sequences with the uh, daughter-in-law. I think those are especially uh, strong. Kind of like this meditation on uh, grief and how that can kind of like these procedural steps can. You know, once you've finished dealing with kind of the procedural steps of, you know, when someone has passed away or is missing in your life and how that can kind of cover up or help you cope with uh, some of the emotional pain of, of losing someone. I felt that particularly strongly with me. I felt the, you know, you know, this idea of it's, it's something that does kind of play a lot in my head and kind of how, this, you know, the decisions of the, you know, the previous generation can really detrimentally impact on the current generation i felt those themes were it was an interesting way of exploring exploring those themes but like you said it takes a little while to get into and it does does sometimes feel a bit stilted you know get, getting that emotional character uh, connection with a book is quite important to me and i think it took a little while for me to, to connect with this book so i don't know how, how did you feel about it i <sighs> I respect yeah. the craftsmanship. It is an incredibly well-built, uh, you know, you can bounce a quarter off of it, man. It yeah. is so tight in how it is constructed. Uh, and, and it would definitely be something that I would probably utilize in some of my classrooms as an example for talking about how you can work within the grid and how you can utilize, you know, these sort of... Uh, you know, some of these different tools and techniques that they kind of use in ways that aren't are a, a little bit more design centric. And they did some really, really great thoughts with layouts that aren't fancy. And which is something that I'm always trying to find to show my students because I love them very, very much. But I have sometimes I get some students who like to uh, reinvent the wheel when it comes to layouts. And it's like, oh, but we still got to be able to read it, yeah. my dear baby angels. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always trying to find stuff that like, like that the far end of the spectrum, this is and, and you know, I obviously love a good weird wacky layout, but like, man, I love it when I can find stuff that's like, it follows that grid. It's very clear. It's very clean, but it still gets the job done. And so I think that there's like a lot that can be learned from it. And I would definitely use it as a tool in some of my classrooms. Oh, but emotionally, I don't. And I, I, the books that resonate me with me need to hit me in my heart and in my gut uh, a little bit more and a little bit harder than this one. Yes, I think I, I probably agree with you there. It's you need like characters to kind of latch onto, and really the only character I could personally latch onto was was the the character of the the daughter and all kind of yeah. Anyway, so I I think it's it's worth seeking out just to see kind of some of the design decisions that they've made around the book i wouldn't say it's like experimental necessarily but it's unconventional in the way they've decided to approach telling this particular story so i think it's it's worth probably uh, seeking out for that reason and and um no other um I, I would just quite quite quickly like to thank the the publishers for sending the uh, sending us these ad advance review uh copies it's yeah. it's always nice for that to happen so i think we've got about 20 30 minutes to talk to, to you now kate about um yourself and kind of like projects that you're uh working on so i think a good kind of general question to start off with is like why comic books and, and graphic novels <laughs> you got a week <laughs> oh gosh 
Jeez. Um, why comics? Why graphic novels? I think because they are an incredibly powerful medium as both a creator and an audience member. So you've got, it's a visual storytelling medium that also allows you to use words. Uh, and, and so it's kind of like movies and television, but uh, it, it, you have the page. They're still images. They're not moving images. And so then you can also bring in elements of design and art. And you can do, you can do so much wild things on a page with pictures and words that you can't always do where you're just writing words or you're just filming uh, people doing things and saying those words. And, and, it, and it allows for just just this expansiveness uh like it is a broad deep sandbox as a creator to play in um and and i uh, i i love story i i make what i make because ever since i was a small small child i have been obsessed with stories and for me personally comics really was that sort of it brought everything together because i love to write i love to draw i love color i i love character and 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 this is even better uh than i think any of these other mediums while yes i can collaborate with other creators if i have an idea for a story i don't have to wait for anyone else to make it because i know how to write i know how to draw i know how to ink i know how to color and i can let her if you twist my arm <laughs> and if a publisher doesn't want it we have the internet we have so many different ways to self-publish these days so there's like the, the gates are wide open and so um it's it, it, it's just such this it's it's just, it's powerful yeah. like <laughs> So that's the yeah. that's the shortest I think uh, answer yeah. I can give you um, on that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, uh, it's it's really interesting, especially I think it's different in places like uh, France and in Japan. I think in in America and the United Kingdom, I think different different differing uh, extents. I think comics and graphic novels are probably more widely respected in the United States than they are in the UK. Because whenever I tend to kind of mention. Uh, my interest in like comic books and graphic novels to to people it, a far more common response that now than, than i would like is oh isn't that just all like superhero stuff um and, <laughs> i mean to be fair you get yeah, a lot of that yeah, in the states um, too it, it really I, th I think unless you are in the, yeah. the franco-belgian uh in the francophone like you're not going to get that like yeah this is literally a ninth like like in in, in the, the the francophone it's like referred to as like i yeah. believe the yeah. ninth art form in like <laughs> which it is it is definitely belongs on that list of uh, capital a I art you but can like, maybe yeah. make the, the, the argument like historically um is maybe the first art form kind of like you know we've been mixing pictures and images uh, uh images and words together since like probably day day dot so i don't yeah anyway um so yeah i think it's you know i agree with i think it's a really when yeah, you know, there's certain stories that can really only be told in kind of like comic books, and the best way to tell them is in comic books. And so I, I definitely um, agree with that. So, uh, what kind of one of the questions I like to ask when I'm I'm talking to to artists is kind of what is your process? Um, do you tend to work with paper or digital? Kind of like um, what is your work setup? Do you have a studio? Um, do you work in bed on an iPad? Kind of how does that tend to tend to work for you 
So uh, to go back, uh, the tools of my particular trade right now yeah. where I'm at these days is an iPad Pro and Clip Studio Paint um, with, I will letter an illustrator. Uh, oh my God, this is something I'm constantly trying to shake my students out of. Um, don't letter in a non-vector-based program, you guys, please, if it's going to print please. But so like, I will definitely bust out Illustrator, although I've been dabbling with um, Affinity Designer. Yeah, Affinity Designer. Yeah. Who doesn't want to get that Adobe cord these days? (laughs) But uh, uh, no, man, like iPad Pro and uh, uh, Clip Studio and the Apple Pencil is my main go-to these days. Uh, Process-wise, if I'm uh you know doing the if i'm working with an editor who like knows me and is cool with this i will generally do thumbnails uh or layouts skip as much of the pencil step as possible and then jump right into the inks because i really want to have that incredibly live active um uh, spontaneous line work that is really really hard to get digitally because you have edit undo um (laughs) but that said like you know to to folks coming up um i've drawn about a thousand plus comic pages in my life to date so i feel really comfortable not having everything planned out plotted out i have i feel really comfortable about how i form and render things so like me skipping over the pencil stage like it's a it's a different beast than someone who is still kind of figuring a lot of their visual language out and so like do as i say not as i do and and don't cut out that pencil stage uh especially for my noobs and my younger creators um but i am i am definitely i'm i, I want to jump over that plus also oh my god i just uh, if anything takes too long i lose interest and wander off and so i gotta get stuff done yeah. fast okay, that's really uh because <laughs> that's <laughs> that is really different to like what a lot of the other correctors I've spoken to. They kind of do take a, maybe a little bit more time with the um, with the penciling stage, making sure like the the layout is roughly correct, and then kind of just getting those um, kind of angles and stuff like that correct, um, uh, uh, kind of as well. But kind of the other thing that you mentioned there that I think is a recurring theme in most of the people that I've spoken to or all the people that I've spoken to is how important speed is kind of being able to kind of get work done quickly and efficiently and finding your own shortcuts enable enabling you to do and enabling <laughs> to do that especially if you want to be um, a, a professional I think it's really um, uh, really important maybe a bit of a geeky techie question do you in kind of like um, the tools that you do do you create your own like paintbrushes and stuff like that or do you just kind of rely on like the paintbrushes that they've got within every time i try to fiddle around with it i always make things worse i always come up with a really dumb brush and so i've been lucky enough um i really love the frienden uh f-r-e-n-d-e-n set of brushes for clip studio um i think currently right now his he's up to like 900 brushes for like maybe 15 dollars or something and every time you updates like you get the updates for free so like it's the biggest value for your you know bang for your buck um so i love the friend and brushes now if you want to get a little pricey i'm also really really enjoying a lot of the brushes coming out of uh true grit supply 
Um, they've got just, especially if you're wanting stuff that feels a little bit messier, a little bit more lo-fi, they've got a ton of like half tones and, and texturizers and stippling and just like their brush set, their inking set that just has like just all sorts of sloppy messes. And I'm, I'm really quite liking that a lot, but they're unfortunately uh, not on the cheaper end of things. Not, not expensive, expensive, but like also if you're a student and, you know, spending five bucks on Clip Studio a month is too much, then they might be a little yeah. bit out of your price okay. range. But um, at the very least, like their inking set, if you don't get a bunch of their other fun bells and whistles, I, I recommend them a yeah. lot. So, um, so you're sitting down to draw a comic kind of what what does your kind of a setup look like i've spoken to people that will go to the park and sit underneath a tree and work from there i've spoken to people that will just stay in bed um thick between the, the, the their um uh, uh cintiq pad and like their, their phone and stuff like that or and i've said i've spoken to people that need to go to a specific studio so how, how does that kind of look look like Currently, uh, I tend to sit on my couch or on my patio. Um, I, <laughs> I purposefully, so, so I got the job teaching at SCAD fall of 2019. And when I moved down here, I specifically got a two bedroom apartment so that the second bedroom would be my office. And I set it up as an office and it was working great as an office. And then COVID hit and I had to teach from my second bedroom for like a year and a half and it drove me absolutely insane. And so I'm, I, I unfortunately have this wonderful office space that I hate <laughs> <laughs> to be in because oh, the pandemic just like completely, you know, like it's like when you eat a food and then you get sick after you're like, Oh, I'm never going to eat that again. Uh, and so oh, I just have this aversion to my really lovely office space. And so I shrimp it up on the couch or out on my like patio, which is terrible. Uh, you know, I try to counteract that with as much, you know, stretching activities and physical activities as possible but goodness knows i'm going to turn into a giant capital c by you know my 40th yeah i think i'm sure um, <laughs> this is people don't realize kind of how bad um sitting at a desk or sitting in a couch or sitting in bed is for your is for your body it's, you need to kind of like get around and walk and uh stuff like that I've, i remember speaking to one of my friends is uh he works at a computer all day and he um one of one of his uh uh friends is a musician and they were kind of exchanging horror stories about kind of different injuries that they were getting like musicians they, they sit all day kind of in a particular position where it's a violin or a saxophone person and they you get these weird clicks and creaks in your elbows and stuff like that so yeah definitely good advice to get out there and um exercise and yeah don't turn into a big c uh please you know, it's cliche for a reason, y'all, like, do some yoga, do some stretching exercises. If you're not a big cardio person, at least do some walks, do some strengthening exercises, especially for your your wrists and your um, shoulders uh, and back and core. Um, people forget that how important your core is for ergonomics. Uh, and so, you know, make sure you're taking a holistic approach to all this so that even if you are like me and you're lazy uh, and you sit on your couch and draw, like you're, you're at least not totally yeah. 100% yeah. wrecking your job. Yeah. So um, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about um, 
uh, comics and uh, the stuff that you enjoy reading and the stuff that you enjoy creating. So kind of what were your uh, earliest memories about the comics that kind of really grabbed you and kind of what, what stuff are you enjoying reading at the moment? Oh, gosh. Uh I did not come from a comic family. Honestly, anything my family knows about comics, they either learned from me uh, or uh, the MCU. Uh, <laughs> so I, and, and I was a, a young girl in the 90s, uh, which was not a time to go alone into comic shops, uh, especially not in the Midwest. And, but I, I, I remember being about 12 or 13 and getting up the courage to go into our local shop because it just, it always was interesting. Like, I don't know, just the posters they'd have in the windows, like they looked neat. I wanted to know what, what was, what what were comics all about? And, uh, you know, I mean, I I read the daily funnies every day, you know, I was perfect age, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, Farside, you know, the perfect daily newspaper era, but beyond that, like no, no comic book. And so like, I get up there, I get up the courage to go in and, I am just like terrified to touch anything, terrified to look at anything, but I'm looking over uh, Sandman and, uh, you know, the volumes of Sandman at the time. And this is like 97. And uh, the owner of the shop comes over, takes the book out of my hand, puts it back on the shelf and points to the back corner. And he's like, the manga's over Ooh, there. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Right. But to be fair, I go over there just because I'm like, well, what what's manga? Because like yeah. it's 97. <laughs> this is this is well before you have, you know, aisles and aisles and aisles of it at Barnes and Noble. Um, and the Internet is barely a thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so uh, I go over there and like this was uh Nixine, um, before it was Tokyo Pop, before all this, they had like it was a you know kind of like a, a Shonen Jump where you'd have a, you know one chapter from a bunch of different series, but like the series they had in it, it was Sailor Moon, yeah, okay, great, uh, <laughs> Harlem Beat, which was a street basketball sports manga, okay, not quite the same thing, but sure, 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 um, and uh. Magic Knight Ray Earth. All right, that's a little bit of a darker Sailor Moon, Magical Girl, Isekai. All right, all right. And then Ice Blade, which was this hyper violent, super dark noir manga, and Parasite, <laughs> which is, uh, for, for those unfamiliar, an incredibly violent, uh, incredibly vicious uh, horror sci fi series. So, you know, this, it was like I picked up a mixine. Um, that was also at the period that like Dark Horse was uh, doing weird things to uh, uh, Blade of the Immortal. Uh, they would put out the chat, like they would do issues, monthly issues, but they put it out at standard American side and they'd size and they'd flip everything, but it was still Blade of the Immortal. So it was violent and vicious and beautiful. Um, and, and so like, I got into some weird yeah. shit. Sorry, stuff. I uh, apologize. We, 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 we don't want cursing on your swear words. It's not a PG. <laughs> good, good. So, like, you know, little did uh, dude run in the shop. No, he definitely introduced me to some really lovely weird shit, uh, and and so I definitely came up through that. And then as I got older, 
the local library near me had a very strange collection of indie and uh, small press uh, at a time, again, like this is, you know, late 90s, early aughts. This is not a time when, you know, your local public library had many comics, let alone like, uh, you know, Dykes to watch out for and 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 and, and uh, um, the crow and <laughs> anything by Daniel Klaus and so my next step was getting into uh, you know a lot of the alt uh, in indie uh, scene and so you know it really wasn't I didn't read my first superhero comic properly until after Avengers oh, okay. came out the movie all right wow okay <laughs> that's interesting yeah. Yeah, I just there was too much. There was too much to get into. And yeah, was, yeah. I think I um, that's probably the reason I stopped reading reading superhero comics. <laughs> it was just kind of like, like for me to understand what's going. I have to like read like fifteen titles a month, and it's just like it was like I can't invest. And before the TPB, you'd have to go back yeah. and find all the loose issues yeah. floating yeah. around in in you know the the bins, yeah. and like it's like it's not, this is not really worth it. Um, interesting. <laughs> what you said about uh, the library because the library. You know, the local local libraries in London played quite a big part in me getting back into comics, and they also had a, like a weird mix of like superhero comics, but also kind of a lot of um, independent stuff um, as well. I say independent, but kind of like non superhero comics. So they had like copies of like Mouse and lots of Vertigo titles and Daniel Klaus books. Oh my um, God. When, when I found Mouse at my local library, yeah, it was a revelation. Uh, and and so you know, anytime I hear someone's trying to ban it again, I'm like, all right, who needs me to buy you a copy of Mouse? Like, y'all need this. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's cliche, but it is. Yeah, I just, so I, yeah, I don't really understand like the banned books list in the United States at all. It's uh, really, and this, I, th- I think I saw. Um, oh, anyway, that's, that's a lot of, that's, yeah, yes, yes, that's a whole, a whole other, other conversation for a whole other day. So, what type of stories do you kind of like enjoy creating, and what 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 draws you to um, wanting to kind of create those sorts sorts of things? I, I am always, I mean, I'm always game for horror. Horror is definitely my bread and butter as a creator, and, and definitely uh, something that I adore as a consumer. Um, you know, definitely cut my teeth on Stephen King when I was like in fifth grade, and like haven't looked back since uh and (laughs) way too old or way too young to be reading that stuff but uh uh, and so so there's horror but I also have this like deep abiding love for autobio even though it also like enrages me as much as I love it and I think my favorite subgenre of comics is you know the alt uh sad white boys complaining about their sad white dicks from like the 80s and 90s like (laughs) They are horrible, and I love all of yeah. them so much. <laughs> uh, and and honestly, anything that's just kind of art, visually different or thematically unusual or structurally challenging, like I'm just always on the hunt for like, uh, you know, who's who who is pushing the boundaries of the art form, and how are they doing that, and. You know, or they do, you know, it's, I, I mean, obviously, sometimes you just love your standard fare. I also love, you know, manga. I mean, like, I love a lot of different manga, but like, I mean, sometimes you just want to go and read like Fruits Basket, where it's just teen girl stuff <laughs> with a yeah. little bit of magic. 
uh, but like uh i mean but then i also absolutely adored like taya matsumoto who is you know always visually and uh story-wise pushing the envelope of what the page can do um you know so i don't know i just i'm a bit of an omnivore and i don't even mind superhero stuff like man like that fraction run yeah hawkeye was great i love I love the school of She-Hulk, uh, you know, the 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 Wade uh Daredevil, you know, like I'm not opposed. Because I, I grew up watching like the the Batman animated series and the the Batman 66, you know, the really cheesy campy TV show. And you know, I had that in my life growing up. I just didn't read the comics. So if there's something that can be kind of contained, um, that I can come to it. Uh, and enjoy it for what it is and not have to read five different books to know what's going on in this one in front of me, then I'm down for that. Um, Kind of getting back to your uh, uh, kind of creative process, you you write as well. What does your, because you draw as well as write, what does that process look like for you? Because I'm, I, I occasionally write my own comics as well. I can't, I've not, I say I can't draw, I've not spent the time developing drawing skills i think that's what i've been told it's not that i can't draw i've not developed the time uh developing my, my drawing skills so how does that process um work for you do you start out with a script um do you start with thumbnails um or do you just bravely just start drawing the comic how, how does that um you know, if I'm working with the publisher, obviously you got to write that script because that editor has got you got to give them something to hang their hat on. Uh, and so I have a tendency to, um, you know, like I said, if I'm going through a publisher, I'll be much more formalistic about my approach. But no matter how I'm approaching it, I have to have the entire thing outlined. Um, I also tend to, when I'm writing, I do self-contained stories. I don't want to do anything that just is ongoing and just kind of goes and goes and goes and goes and goes ad infinitum. I am very formalistic in the sense that um, I, I like arcs. I like character arcs. I like story arcs. I like having an end point. Uh, and so, um, so I will outline everything first before I even go into anything else. Uh, Sometimes uh, I will be a little bit more fluid about how deep into the scripting I go. Um, And sometimes I'll even not even write dialogue until I have the page in front of me. And then I just put words into the the character's mouths. Um, But I tend to need to have a roadmap. I have to have somewhere to go um, before I start. And I'm, I, I, words work just fine for me. Um, I know some folks who will definitely script better by just, you know, the visuals, thumbnails, things like that. And um, I tend to have to start with words before I get two pictures. Even though I have both at my disposal, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Brains are weird. Yeah. That's how mine works. I think one of the things that really changed the way that I, especially kind of um, when I was actually collaborating with people is actually um, lettering comics and realizing, oh, I can't have like 150 words <laughs> of dialogue yep. in like one speed, kind of like that, like for me getting, so it's, you know, you saying you kind of put the dialogue in last, like for me, that's almost the first thing that I start off with because like, this idea of you know being economical uh, that's not the right way of saying it having kind of like uh, efficacy with the amount of words that you're using i think is really important because you don't want to drown out the art so it's um yes yeah, so yeah. 
And comics is yeah. all about real estate and very limited real estate to tell your story in a lot less than a prose book will have. And, you know, word wise, you know, you have so little space. Like if it, good rule of thumb is maximum 30 words per panel on a page that has an average yeah. five to seven panels, that's not a lot of words. <laughs> per panel and so you gotta be real smart about if you want to if you want to max that out like okay how can we balance this out and is this a fighting scene why are they talking so much we can't see the action if they're talking too much but like if it's a talky scene or you know it's uh why do you have you know if it's a very talky scene why are there 20 panels on this page like you know it's it's a i i think that um that is probably uh even for someone who has the visual side of it, the visual background of it on my end, like, like you said, using, using, being economical with your words and your language and making space and finding that balance between that and the visuals um, is so important as a writer. Um, easy to forget, yeah. even if you are an I mean, artist I'll, as well. I remember recently I got, um, advanced i say advanced review copies but they they're, they're comic books that have been out for um ages is brian michael bendis's torso have you read that uh not yet but it is on okay. my, I, my my pile by my bed really, <laughs> really annoyed me. um the amount of dialogue <laughs> and text that he's got on the page is I mean, like some like his editor should have grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and said, "Look, what are you doing? <laughs> you you can't see anything that's going on with the art." And it just when you've got that amount of text on on the page, it kind of distorts what the art is doing. So yes, I think that's yeah. one thing that I've kind of really um uh, uh you know taken home as a creator uh, myself. I'm uh, aware we're kind of like coming up to an hour. I've just got um a couple of a uh, uh, couple more um questions for you so um what what projects are you working on at the moment currently at the moment i am uh in the pitching stage uh uh trying to kind of find some homes for i've got a couple of of graphic novels uh uh that i'm i'm looking for i'm doing i'm working on developing a, a personal self-publishing project probably would end up just being like a, a web comic i don't know if i really have the energy to do kickstarter these days um and uh, uh obviously um you know gearing up for the school year since that starts on monday at least for i i, I teach on a quarter system so like we have this really long wonderful summer and unfortunately it is wrapping up and so that's going to definitely be a lot of that taking up my time. Um, but of course, uh, I've got a couple of fall cons coming up uh, that I'll be working. And I'm always pushing. I had a new book come out in June, uh, the Silk Hills. Uh, I did the art for that. And it was written by uh, one of my dearest friends uh, and another uh, regular create, uh, collaborator. Um, so Brian Lovell, who is the best of the best, um, and Ryan Ferrier. Uh, and... Uh, which I think if, since I don't know how your fall is over there, but like, I think everyone here in the States are having hot yeah, I mean, it's um, right now. It's, it's still quite <laughs> warm over here. It's, we had a heat wave here until like two, three weeks ago. So like the weather has got considerably cooler, but it's still warmer than it should be. Yeah. And so it's 
feel like yeah. spooky season yet, but like I want to transition to spooky stuff. Well, so kills, and then also my other creator in book that was also uh, uh, Brian Level uh, co-wrote that as well uh, alongside Andy Eschenbach. There are some good horror, horror, horror adjacent books that um, are a little, little sweatier, a little hotter. Uh, so you know, might help bridge that that transition from this never-ending summer into spooky season. If uh, folks are looking for something for that, uh, and that is Silk Hills and Chain to the Grave, uh, uh, and that's kind of. Oh yeah. gosh, I'm sure I have a million yeah. other things on a back burner we're kind of the big boys right now um one question i've got about um teaching has so i i do i I teach kind of martial arts and teaching martial arts has definitely changed the way that i approach practicing martial arts has has teaching had the same effect on you yeah oh all the time Oh my gosh. Um, it has definitely changed and it continues to change and it will continue to change because um, I try not to approach teaching from the point of view of I know everything and you need to learn from me is more of a let's have a dialogue and learn together. Um, and because uh, goodness knows, you know, there's a lot of stuff I know, but man, my, my, my kiddos are, are, you know, 20 years younger than me. They know a lot of stuff I don't. And so I'm constantly learning new things. Um, and just through the course of just building out lesson plans, I'm learning new things and, uh, working with the amazingly talented, uh, professors that I work with in my department, I'm learning new things. And so I feel like it is in all the best ways, uh, I'm growing and changing and pushing my my work and myself forward uh as a teacher and uh, i wouldn't have yeah. it any other way i love um, it so love kind it, of just the, the last two two questions um from me really um i always like to, to kind of uh almost always finish uh, on this uh, question what does success look like for you being content it's you know, I mean, like, yeah, we all have our little things like, yeah, I'd like to, I mean, you know, yeah, sure. An Eisner would be nice or, you know, a book deal with this publisher, or that publisher, which, you know, Fantagraphics, please. Uh, it would be <laughs> feathers in the cap, you know, and, and that's lovely. But um, I just want to go to bed at the end of most days because it's not going to be every day because that's life. But I want to go to bed content most days with you know, this was a good day, or I had a good, you know, a good conversation here, or I made some good progress on this, and I'm, I'm pleased with where I'm at. Uh, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a successful life for me as one that is a content um, life. And that is uh, something a lot of creative have has said to me, so having that uh, contentment, I think so long as, um, I think a word that comes up a lot is like fulfilled, like, both like financially and creatively um it's it's a lot more difficult than it sounds unfortunately (laughs) you have to work quite hard to kind of get there um uh, i mean like the nice thing is is that i have a you know quote-unquote day job and so financially that i'm very fulfilled with uh the teaching and i'm emotionally and mentally and uh, fulfilled with that so like I I am count my blessings with that because yeah that financial aspect of trying to create a fulfilling uh, creative 
life um, can be yeah. an extreme challenge. Um, and so like anyone out there who thinks that you have to just do art full time or else you are not a successful creator. I almost none um, of the especially. artists I've spoken to do, do that. Almost all of them have got other jobs or other gigs that pay the bills. It's just kind of, especially if you're working in comics. <laughs> you know, and, and if you can find a day job that pleases you, like I said, like I teach, I love it. Um, you know, my, I, I, two of my favorite co-creators, Brian Lovell and Andy Eschenbach, they both have their own tattoo studios, you know, like find that day job that helps make, take the, the financial stress off your shoulders that hopefully can also make you happy. Uh, but then also allows for you the time to pursue your creative work. And, you know, you never know where things will go with that, but like, don't get down on yourself if you have to have a quote unquote day job. Hell, I worked in insurance for a number of years just to make sure my bills were paid. <laughs> and I wouldn't have a, I would not have a comics career if I didn't have that yeah. insurance job. Okay. That's the truth of that. Um, and so. the, the last question I um, always uh, finish off with is there any topics or questions that um, I haven't asked or we haven't discussed that um, you'd like me to ask or uh, discuss now? Um, I think we covered okay. all the high points. Uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, there's always, I can, <laughs> I, I can talk for days, honey, but <laughs> we are definitely yeah. getting to the end of that hour. Yeah. Well, we're okay. way over that hour. So okay. we can great. definitely um, wrap. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Kate, for taking the time to uh, speak to me today. Um, can you tell people where they can find you on the internet and stuff like that? Yes. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, real regularly. My handle is at K-A-T-E-S-H-E-R-R-O-N, at Kate Sharon, one word, uh, on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, uh, my website is katesharon.com. If you got to send me an email, katesharon at gmail.com. I have a brother in marketing, and he gave me the right advice many moons ago to... <laughs> get my name on everything. <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I'm very, very, if you can remember how to spell Sharon, then you will find me very, very easily. Um, and if you are in the Savannah, Georgia region, uh, do not hesitate uh, to, to reach out. I'm always happy to, to connect with the community down here. That's so. great. Okay. So yeah. uh, just a few closing words from me. So uh, Cole is doing a really Read some really great stuff on on the seafood panel youtube channel he's doing these video breakdowns discussions of books from his uh, pull list and books that he's backed on kickstart so definitely check that out on our youtube channel i will be continuing to do these like guest hosting episodes until cole is well, well enough to kind of come back on pod so yeah so please if you can uh, support the pod by uh leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to us or if you can donate something in the tip, tip jar uh the link is in the episode description that'll be um, also fantastic and we're looking for recommendations so if you've got any comic books or graphic novels that you'd like us to review please email them to us at seafoodpanel at gmail.com um thank you very much kate let's say bye bye, bye.